Talk features thought leadership interviews with community financial institution executives on relevant banking topics. If you are that CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we are going to talk about, I'll call this a mini podcast. Just a couple of changes are coming up to the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of Dodd-Frank, and we thought that those of you who are in the space ought to be aware of it. So today I have with me Tyler Barron, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Encapture. And typically we don't do this type of podcast, but you know Tyler and some of his folks brought it to our attention. And we thought, hey, we hadn't uh, hadn't heard about this, so thought it might be worth just spending a couple of minutes educating the, the listeners. So without further ado, let's get to Bank Talk. Okay, welcome back to Bank Talk. Uh, today I've got with me Tyler Barron from Encapture. Tyler, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, Charlie, thanks for having me. Tyler, you and I prepped for this a little bit. and. We just thought this was timely because it seems like this uh, Section 1071 of the Dodd-Frank Act is seemed like, at least from our conversations you were saying, that looks like this might get approved. So what I thought I would do is let me first see if I can re-up a little bit here and make sure that the listeners know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> so once I Googled the ten, you know Section 1071, this is what I came up with, right? Uh, Section 1071 of the Dodd-Frank Act amended the Equal Equal Credit Opportunity Act, ECOA, to require financial institutions compile, maintain, and submit to the Bureau certain data on applications for credit for women-owned, minority-owned, and small businesses. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like what we're talking about? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. And, and, you know, Charlie, I'm definitely not a expert in, you know, regulatory compliance by any means, you know, our role in this is is more of an automation partner, but, you know, it's definitely been a very relevant conversation with the uh, banks we work with over the past, oh, really over the past year and a half. And really kind of what we hear is, you know, not a matter of, of if this is going to be enforced, but kind of more of a moving target around when it's going to be enforced. And then also the details around how this is going to be enforced from a data collection and requirements gathering standpoint at these banks. Okay. And to the best of your knowledge, I mean, it feels like this is probably coming fairly quickly. Is that kind of what how your team's thinking about this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's how we keep our finger on the pulse is that, you know, we maintain, you know, regular standing meetings with our executive partners at, at major banks all across the country. And this has been a common question that we've been asking uh, during those those executive sessions, which is, what's the latest that y'all heard about Dodd-Frank 1071? Because they're part of peer groups, they're part of industry groups that are regularly meeting with these regulators and, and have their ear to the ground. We originally heard this fall that it was going to be end of the year. And then kind of pass that through and everybody said, okay, we're really looking like end of March is the deadline. We talked with some folks earlier this month that said, hey, look, we're kind of feeling like 
it's probably going to be pushed out further this spring, but just, you know, some of the things that have gone on here in the banking industry over this past month, which have been significant in nature with Silicon Valley Bank and, and just some, some other areas like that. Most executives at banks that we're talking to feel like the 331 date is going to hold and that'll be the final ruling. Uh, then there'll be this 90 day period in which, you know, that, you know, the rule becomes finalized. Then, then there's going to be an 18 month um, implementation period to where banks have to start to learn how to operationalize this and comply. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And I think what you're speaking to is probably, you know, what's going on from a Silicon Valley bank perspective and seems to me, you know, again, I haven't done, a, we haven't done a full podcast on it and I probably don't want to get too deep into it right here, but it seems to me that at least from what I'm hearing in the media that, you know, this, what's going on with, with Silicon Valley and Signature Bank and a few of the others is, seems to be, you know, almost opening up the season on regular regulations, right? Like we need more yeah. regulations is the, is the initial knee jerk reaction. And maybe some of this regulation that's sitting on the books, but yet to be approved is, you know, that's an easy answer, right? Oh, we'll, we'll make sure we've got, you know, enough check mark, check boxes, right? Around, uh, we push some more regulation through, you know, maybe this is one of those, the ones that's, uh, I don't know if you call it victim or, you know, this is a benefit to this type of regulation, but it seems, you know, no, I, like, I, hey, this is, that's how one of these lands, at least that's where my head's at with it. No, I, I would agree with the sentiment there. You know, it it feels like, you know, a lot of the regulatory authorities have have just been waiting for a reason not to wait any longer. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's multiple different root causes as it relates to to those banks and the challenges they had. And, you know, there's tons in the media about that. But, you know, there there was some some pushback there to where those groups were were you know part of the group of banks that were saying hey look you know only the the largest financial institutions in the country should have that that level of regulatory scrutiny you know that would be too onerous and expensive for us to do that and you know whether it's just at the end of the day just complete mismanagement and bad business decisions or hey there was something that could have been completely prevented from regulatory oversight i don't think anybody will ever actually figure that out, but it is an opportunity for certain agendas to be pushed. Like you're saying, Charlie, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Okay. So let's spend just a couple of minutes in this act itself. So, you know, to me, it sounded a little bit like everybody who's doing loans of a certain size, specifically business loans of a certain size, should be, you know, have an ear to the ground as far as what this is going to do, because they're going to, it's going to require something. But when I read this the first time, I thought, Hey, this almost sounds like Humda Community Reinvestment Act, you know, CRA type stuff, meaning the similar to, to what gets pushed upstream for mortgages. Is it similar? Or I'm probably misreading that. Help me understand this thing. Yeah, I mean, w without getting into the nuance, you know, we're a, a data automation platform. And whenever our experts started to look at it purely from a data standpoint, and look at those reportable fields, and we have active Humda automation solutions, they were looking at this and they were like, well, this is Humda. The challenge is even though the reporting fields are going to be super similar, which are primarily demographic information that hasn't been collected to where CRA is more geographic type information that's being collected. Um, so this demographic data being collected on these small business loans, it is Humda-esque. It is very much like that. I think 
what's going to be completely different is with mortgage, you have a very, not a very, but pretty standardized process. You have an application that looks and smells the same just about every time. But whenever you look at small business loans, you know, most of these aren't even requiring an application. They're still being done through relationships and and gathering the supporting documents and ultimately putting together a deal and saying, hey, these are the scenarios. So from a pure data standpoint, it is very much like Humda. But from a operational process standpoint, I think that there's going to be some very unique challenges just in terms of how business is done today and then how it will have to be changed as it relates to requesting this data, standardizing application processes. But yeah, I mean, it it is pretty intensive. If you look at this in the scope of, you know, small business loans that are having to do CRA reporting, you know, you're talking about 20 something fields. With Humda, it's 110 fields. With this Dodd-Frank 1071, the preliminary fields that they've issued is very much like Humda. So you're basically more than quadrupling the amount of amount of fields that are going to be required to be reported. So that is going to create some bandwidth and some operational staffing challenges as it relates to compliance teams at banks and lenders. Give me a use case. What, what type of fields are you talking about when... Now, I'm assuming there's some overlap to Humda, but but give me some unique things that go along with yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think, I think a lot of it would be around race, ethnicity, gender, because ultimately these are driven by fair lending analysis. So those are the things that they're wanna that they're wanting to collect that will be new. Let me kind of talk about what's unique about though. If you think about mortgage, those are pretty straightforward questions to ask. But whenever you look at small business loans, it's like you kind of got to go a couple layers deeper sometimes. You say, okay, well who actually owns this business? Who are the partners in the LLC? Who are the majority shareholders? Whatever the scenarios might be, and then dive into those layers around those individuals and what the demographics are behind that. To whereas with Humda, that demographic type information is pretty straightforward to collect. But I think with Dodd-Frank 1071, you're going to have to go a couple layers deeper. And then also there's going to have to be, I wouldn't call it based off proof, but more off of, okay, I'm just going to trust what they're telling me a lot of times. Yeah. So if I said that another way, is it fair to say when you're talking about Humda, you know, the two borrowers or three or four or one or whatever, right? You know, the the number of borrowers, every name's on the application. When you're talking about small businesses, though, even if you're an officer in the company, doesn't necessarily follow exactly the loan application that's being taken out. Is that a good way to put that or is that a terrible way to put that? No, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, ultimately, I think I think the rule that or the term that they're using is who's the principal owners of the business. And so that could mean, you know, lots of different things based on, you know, who's going to be responsible for that loan. I do think that that is a, a fair thing to say to where a mortgage is usually, you know, done with individuals or a couple of individuals. It's pretty straightforward. But, you know, whenever you look at these small business loans, it's like, okay, well, who are the principal owners? And then inside of that group of owners, you know, if it's not as straightforward as just being a sole proprietorship or an LLC with just one individual or whatever it might be, you've really got to kind of dig into that data a couple layers deep. Okay. That's good. Let me give you a, a sort of a shameless plug for and capture, right? How does data solve this problem or what can you do? 
to make it easier so this doesn't become just something specifically manual? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So, you know, where we sit in the whole sphere of compliance data collection is really we eliminate the time-consuming task of comparing what's in the source documents, so all these supporting documents that you're getting from the borrowers, what's in the business system, and then ultimately what is in these reporting systems or reporting databases that's going to the regulatory body. So, Charlie, what we hear a lot of times is that there is a lot of errors between those three things. And ultimately, that creates fines, penalties, risk um, whenever a regulatory exam takes place. And the way that is done today at the majority of banks is that they are doing a manual process, which is known as data scrubbing, to go in and identify these errors and then manually correct that data. It captures a document automation platform that looks at those three data points as what's in the doc, what's in the business system, and then ultimately what's in the reporting database, identifies errors, allows you to correct that quickly, and then perfects that data back to all those three points. And that's because there's multiple documents that are used to collect these three. Let's just use three as an example, and then maybe there's eight, maybe there's two, but let's use three, right? Three separate places that the data is being collected are for three, three separate purposes. Is the reason that that data would become out of sync because you are collecting it in different places or on different documents? Human error? Is it something else? All the above. So some of it is just flat out human error. You got folks that are spending time manually keying in data into business systems. Mistakes happen, fat finger mistakes. It's not that uncommon. The other is, is that situational context, right? To where they originally applied, they had it under property address X, but then they changed the property address before it closed. And so somewhere along the line, that information didn't get, get updated or whatever it might be. And so there's situations like that to where it happens. And then also there are situations to where what's in the actual application doesn't match across all the supporting documents. So let's say that they're providing proof of income, proof of residency, proof of identity. And in the application, they're saying, my name is X, I live at X, here's this. But then whenever you start looking at all these supporting lending documents, you're seeing discrepancies there across the loan package. And it can be a super time-consuming process to go back, crack that loan package open, figure out what document inside of there, what page, what field, and then do this big triangulation of that data. Typically, what we see is that that process can be automated up to you know ninety percent, and you know usually we see a time on task savings of you know a, like Humda Data Scrub takes usually around thirty minutes per loan, and we could get that down to two or three minutes per loan. Okay, so I'm. I think we're close to the end here. I got two more questions. Generally, when I'm asking a question on something like this, I always think about fintechs and you know how everybody in the banking sector is worried about whether or not they're under the same regulatory requirement. Is there a difference between you know how a bank credit union is going to have to report this versus somebody outside that that specific group? Yeah, I don't know if there's if there's some differences of how they're going to have to report it, but what we've heard is that Dodd-Frank 1071 is going to apply to anybody that is providing small business loans. So that means credit unions, which credit unions don't currently report on CRA. So this will be a new data collection process for them as it relates to small business lending. There's a lot of small business lending fintechs and alternative lenders 
out there that this is going to apply to. Equipment financing companies, inventory finance companies, anybody that is really lending to this whole realm, which is a massive realm of small business, we're hearing that that they will have to comply to this data collection process and reporting. All right. What else? This segment of the 1071 or anything else going on in this area? Yeah, I feel like we we covered a pretty good gamut. You know, I will say that even though we do not have any sort of solution as it relates to, you know, interpreting the regulations or anything like that, we do feel like one thing that that banks are doing right now is they're saying how much of current of what we currently do that is well known, like Humda, like CRA, could be automated so we could have our compliance experts at our banks or fintechs spend time figuring out how we're going to go about changing our processes and adopting this. So that's that's a whole other animal to where you've got really high demand, smart compliance people that need to figure out how this is going to fit within their institutions. And one reason we feel like we could help right now is saying, okay, the things that are the, the knowns, like Humda Compliance CRA, how much of that could you automate and create bandwidth to address this moving goalpost here of new, you know, new compliance requirements. Yeah. And I would think that the reason for that might be the bank's job is to get the loan closed. And the Mm -hmm. afterthought is the regulatory, right? I mean, that's the way I think about it. It's sort of, I don't know what regulatory is going to be. I kind of know what it is today. I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And the rules keep changing on me. So I need a process because it's required of me. Not because I love to do it or have any interest in doing it. It's just this is a requirement and I and therefore I must. But the mm-hmm. loan's already closed, right? Everybody collected their commission check already. And it's yep. uh, yeah, right. I mean, uh, do I think about that wrong? That's how I would think about it if I were running the bank, I guess is probably the way I would say you know, that is what we hear. You know, I, I think that there is some some major concerns just from a change management standpoint, how this is going to impact and influence loan officers in terms of them trying to get get deals done. But ultimately, if there's ways to just automatically collect this data early on in the process, make it simple and easy and not onerous, then, you know, I think that's a way to try to make everybody happy because it is a it is a good checks and balances system, but there's ways to do it without it being, you know, either an an impediment on getting the the deal done, the loan closed, or being overly expensive and driving up uh, the cost per loan. I would say, I think that the backend systems are tend to be probably a little more manual. And I think what you're saying is, you know, if there's a way to automate that and not spend as many bodies doing the things that aren't creating dollars for you, right? Why not do it? Because, you know, nobody likes a, nobody likes an afterthought process. Nobody likes a manual process. And if, yeah. you save, if you can save some bodies and re you know reutilize those people doing something more interesting and more more productive, why wouldn't you do it? One one hundred percent. And and look, I've never personally done a compliance data scrub before, but I know whenever we talk to you know banking compliance teams, they're like, I never want to do this again. So <laughs> you know, I, I think I yeah, I think this is something that that folks that are trying to, you know, drive loan volumes and get deals done don't want to deal with. And I think it's also just one of those just tasks that even the compliance team is like, yeah, this is just something that we wish we had a better mousetrap and we just have to do. But our only solution is to manually do it right now. And so, you know, I'm proud that we have a solution that gives them bandwidth back and some more work-life balance back. 
And, you know, hopefully that supports them figuring out how how they can, you know, focus on meaningful things at the bank, like, you know, to your point, the customer experience and and also ways just to maintain, uh, you know, driving down cost and, and being competitive in the market today. Well, very good, Tyler. I, I appreciate you updating us on what's going on with uh, Section 1071. Thank you for joining us today. Appreciate you spending some time with us on Bank Talk. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. I appreciate you having me. Well, okay, that's it for Bank Talk. Uh, I'd like to thank Tyler Barron from Encapture one more time for joining us and just kind of explaining what's going on in the in uh, Dodd Frank these days. And that's all we have for today. So thanks again for joining us on Bank Talk. Have a good day and keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast brought to you by Remedy Consulting. If you'd like to reach out to Encapture, go to their website, Encapture.com. It's machine learning for banks and lenders. If you're looking to become a presenter on the Bank Talk podcast, please reach out at BankTalkPodcast.com. Thanks again, and we will see you in the next episode.